أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيد الأولين والآخرين وعلى آله وصحبته أجمعين رب شرح صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقلة من لساني يفقه قولي Brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Continuing now our reading of Manhaj al-Abidin of Abu Hamad Al-Ghazali, Rahimahullah, At-Tusi. And we reached a section on what he calls valleys, Aqabat, but I translated it as obstacles just so it gives people sort of a better appreciation for what he's trying to discuss here. And in this text, of course, he identifies seven obstacles to a life of faith and obedience. We said that this is like the last book he wrote. And... We know that learning is very, very important. The Prophet said, That knowledge comes by learning. One of the most important things I know when I embraced uh, Islam, and one of the things I can encourage people to do is to learn. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the only thing he ordered the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to seek an increase in is knowledge. My Lord, inc- increase me in knowledge. And knowledge is very important because it tempers sometimes the excitement or the enthusiasm that comes with newfound faith or a rebirth of faith, if you will, in the lives of a person. And the way of this knowledge is to study with the shuyukh. Man akhada kitabahu shaykhahu faqad akhada shaytana shaykha. Whoever took a book as his shaykh took shaytan as his shaykh. So the knowledge that we share here is knowledge that we took from our teachers. Alhamdulillah Rabbil And Imam Al-Ghazali identifies after knowledge being an obstacle, how to acquire it, how to learn it correctly, how to implement it, how to live it. Because we know that knowledge is, according to Surah Al-Fatiha, is going to designate us in one of two or three categories. Those who Allah has had favors, those who earned Allah's anger, those who've gone astray. And those who Allah has favored and amta alayhim are those who know and act on what they know as best they can. And when they make mistakes, they repent. aslahu and try to fix, as the Quran mentions. The second are those who know and don't act on what they know. So they know, but they don't act on it. So Allah says, Kamathil Himari Yahmilu Asfara, like donkeys with a books on their back and then finally are those who like they have that excitement and they have the enthusiasm to learn uh, the excitement enthusiasm to worship but they don't want to learn and these are ad-dalin Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them in the Quran la taghlu fi dinikum wa la taqulu ala Allahi illa al-haq like don't be extreme in your religion man Allah says wa rahbaniyati ibtada'uha ma katabanaha alayhim like this monk lifestyle which they invented, we did not prescribe it for them. Out of enthusiasm, out of right, um, a slant towards being more devout, they went astray. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wafiqana wa iyakum, insha'Allah. We ask Allah to give us success and to guide us so that we can be balanced. Allah says in the Quran, Allah tataghaw fil mizan. Like establish the balance. 
and don't create imbalance. It's more difficult than it sounds. Then after that, he talked about repentance and how it can be an obstacle. And we went through the reasons why someone feels they don't need to repent. Somebody is overcome by sin or somebody just doesn't know how to do it. So they neglect it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran doesn't say that people who sin and repent are losers. It's those who fail to repent. Those who fail to repent are those who are truly losers. And then after that, we moved on to the foundational challenges, the foundational valleys, the first valleys that someone is going to come across in this journey towards trying to recommit themselves. And we talked about this recommitment two years ago when I explained Imam Al-Harari's book, Manazil Asairin, here, the stages of the, 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 the seeker. And the first stage of anybody is al-yaqadha, is being awakened. And he talked about in his text, the virtues of test and how test can awaken us. The blessings of success, how success should remind us of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be a way of centering us. So Sayyidina Imam uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions that in these first stages after someone is awakened, they're going to encounter these kind of, these are the first valleys that they may traverse. And we said that it's not necessarily linear, as you recall. The first is the valley of dunya. The valley of dunya is dealing with, you know, my income, my finances, my support, my attachments, and so many things that we went through, and his advice. And the second valley, and where we are reached now, is on the valley of popularity wanting to be popular, wanting to be accepted, wanting to have likes now. And we said that this section actually is really important because we live in a time now where the meaning of social engagement has been drastically changed. And social efficacy and utility is largely now located by like how many people you can make like you no matter what you do. And that's not something that is prophetic. A prophetic community is one that has to speak the truth, even if people don't necessarily want to hear it. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He commanded the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to act outwardly with the da'wah, the first thing He said, وَأَنذِرْ عَشْرَتِكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ Warn them. He didn't so, say, go and make them happy. He didn't say go to them and, and try to, you know, placate them. But with the believers, Allah says, You know, when you meet the believers, give them glad tidings. Now it's the opposite. Even we see sometimes content providers. So they're constantly making the Muslims feel horrible. But then people who don't even worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or may, may be engaged in serious moral crimes, they give them mubashara. They give them bushra. And we know in the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that some prophets have no followers, but they're still successful. They were still successful. They delivered their message. I remember years ago, a brother named Abdul Malik from Houston. This is almost 30 years ago. Who, subhanAllah, he... he um, he was making da'wah in his neighborhood and nobody followed him. And still every time like he would finish, he would go around and talk to people 
try to encourage them to come to the mosque, try to teach them something about the religion. He, he would go back to the mosque and nobody would go with him. And still he would give the speech to the empty mosque. And one of the brothers, he came in and he said to him like, who are you talking to? He said, I'm talking to myself. So that kind of sincerity, the prophetic sincerity that is not about followers and numbers is one that can be compromised in an age of performance-based religion that measures its success by numbers. Allah says in the Quran, how many times did the small group defeat the large group? Who created death and life so you would know who's the best and good, not the most, the best. And we know that Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha, she said that the Prophet sallallahu he said the best action is the one that is done consistent, consistently, even if it's not a lot, it's just a little. And this is one of the things we learn when we memorize the Qur'an. That to memorize the Qur'an is to memorize one letter. And to memorize two letters, three letters, four letters. And then one word, and two words, three words, one verse, two verses, three verses, one page, two pages. So that process is important. Because it allows us to appreciate that is much more than how the contemporary world looks at things. The contemporary ethos that runs society is one on, that values what you have and what you don't have. Like how many people right now, they feel bad because they don't have something that's not really that important. How many people are depressed because they don't have a PlayStation 5? Grown freaking adults, not kids. How many people had a bad day because they couldn't get their hands on some shoes? Well, subhanAllah, recently I was walking down the street in New York City and a brother came to me out, outside of the masjid and he said to me, can you help me? And I said, what? And he pointed down, that brother had no shoes. So I can buy a pair of shoes that could be used to buy 10 pairs or 20 pairs of shoes and I'm mad because I can't find it. Maybe Allah protected you from wasting your wealth that way. So we see something here that the ethos of religion, especially Islam, is not based on how much, but what. And the ethos that we find in popular culture today, in society, is how much, no matter what. And in fact, there is a fundamental clash here. That actually Islam looks at value through al-wujud, existence. Wajibul wujud huwa Allah wahda. What exists forever is Allah. That's where I should put my value. The second is al-munkin, wujud al-munkin. That something has a beginning, something has an ending. Al-hawadithin, that's us. And everything we have. Kullu man alayha fan wa yabaqa wajhu rabbika dhul jalali wa ikram. And the third is probable. I may get a job, I may not get a job, I may have kids, I may not have kids, I may marry the person one day I hope to marry, or any of those kind of things that happen in our lives. And those we leave to Allah, His mercy, 
and his justice. That's very different than the world today. And if I, as a human being, begin to create my personal lens, if you will, based on that, then worship becomes easy because what lasts is what is going to be valued to me. And I won't get attached to things which are unhealthy, like followers and fans and how many people like this post and this and this and this and this and this. As one of our teachers said to us who came before the era of performance-based religion, one of his students said to him, like, I lost like 20 followers today or something. And he was like, mashallah, that's an opportunity for you to be alone with Allah. So we have to be very careful as well that the world we live in is largely curated by one that pushes the idea of my value is intrinsically based on what is not intrinsic to me. And that creates a sense of, of imbalance. That I'm not valuing what's really in my circle of influence, what's intrinsic to who I am. I'm concerned about secondary issues. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes this kind of person in Surah Al-Luqman and other places. There are some people who worship Allah, harf is to be at the edge of something. So like some days they're good, some days they're bad. But not based with Allah based on what they have or don't have. And the Prophet وسلم, he said the example of the believer is like a small sprouting plant that the winds will blow it hither and thither, like here and there. But eventually when the winds stop, it stays straight. It means in the face of challenges and difficulties, we as a community have to pull back a little from the cult of Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and other things and Facebook. Not and not use them, we should use them, but we have to make sure, am I being driven by them? Is my marriage being impacted by them? Are my friendships being impacted by them? Is my own self-worth being driven by an algorithm that has been programmed to get into my system and mess with me? And the, and the sign of that is, how many followers do I have? Or how many people are gonna like, like what I post? And if I get into that, then I can't speak the truth. My ability to stand in the prophetic office has been sold out. I've compromised myself. But Allah says, Speak the truth. And the greatest sign of this is that we see Muslims on both sides adopting the nomenclature of the left and right and replacing theology, theological nomenclature, with political nomenclature. Wallahi! I saw divorce in the last month and a half over right and left politics. These people, mashallah, they're having a beautiful family. And I was like, this is, you're allowing this to come in between. So that means not only have we been colonized, perhaps geographically, but now intellectually. So what Imam al-Ghazali shares are ideas that are very fresh and close to the era of prophethood. Only three centuries, four centuries, and a reflection in a time where the Muslim world was extremely wealthy and someone who had to step back, if you will, if Imam al-Ghazali had been on social media at this moment in his life before he died, he would have pulled off social media for a while. Just to make sure that he's not 
in a way that's unhealthy, imbalanced in an unhealthy way. So that takes us now to the second problem with people. He says it very clearly, al-khalq. The second challenge, the second major value that, uh, valley that a person has to cross as they begin to commit to a life of balanced faith and devotion is people, man. When you hear the word people, what do you think of? What's the first thing you think of? Just asking this question. When you hear the word people, what comes to mind? Everybody's so shy. Relationships. Responsibility. Excellent. Who else wants to share when you hear the word people? What, what kind of the first thing that comes to mind? Hmm? Happiness, yeah. Absolutely. And we're going we're gonna to be critical sometimes of his ideas. Imam Ghazali is neoplatonist and sometimes impacted by a very like harsh sense of cynicism, which also is a product of his world. Right? In the zombie apocalypse, a, chan, a can of chili is caviar. If you can paint the whole world in a horrible way, you can always give the greatest sermon in the world. Ask, one time I was in a Muslim country and we, we were asked to give sermons. And one of our classmates was like, I don't know what to talk about, man. It's not my language, and then I don't know what to talk about. And so the teacher said, just scare them, you know. Just like scare them, they'll be, be like the greatest sermon you ever gave in your life. He's like, just scare them? He's like, yeah, just go. Just scare them. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Balance between fear and hope. So it's very easy to place the world as like the, the worst it's ever been. This is the worst days that we've ever encountered and then here's the answer it's cheap theology it's very shallow so being happy around people is very important it's one of our our, our beliefs what else anyone else want to share you hear the word people what comes to mind so he says rahimahullah and we're reading alhamdulillah the text like word for word so we can try to appreciate kind of what he says وَأَمَّا الْخَصَّةُ أَثَانِيَةِ Second reason. الَّتِي تَقْتَضِي أَتَفَرُّدَ عَنِ النَّاسِ The second thing that should obligate you to isolate yourself away from people. We talked about what isolation means a while back. Not complete isolation. فِي هَذَا الشَّأْنِ Related to these issues. فَإِنَّ النَّاسَ يُفْسِدُونَ عَلَيْكَ مَا يَحْصُلُ لَكَ مِنَ الْعِبَادَةِ and the first, he talked about how they'll keep you away from worship. The second challenge now that he's going to talk about is how being around people can reduce the impact and positive outcome of worship. Like, for example, someone sits and makes dhikr for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. So, mashallah, they engaged in dhikr, mashallah. And then they sit with someone and backbite someone for 20 minutes. It's like, what happened to the dhikr? So that's what he's talking about. If the Prophet said, follow up a bad deed with a good deed, it will wipe it out. Then there's the fear that if we follow up a good deed with a bad deed, it will diminish, not wipe it out, but diminish its impact. So the second now is related to impacting the potential reward of worship and impact in a positive way. Being around people, that can impact that. 
فإن الناس يفسدون عليك ما يحصل لك من العبارة إن لم يعصمك الله سبحانه وتعالى that being around people at times if someone loses their commitment to noble character and integrity then being around those people can take away from the reward of their worship the impact, the positive impact unless Allah he says to us protects us, protects you from those things بسبب ما يعرض من قبرهم من دواعي الرياء والتزين and now he's getting into two specific things which are at the heart of doing it for the gram instead of doing it for Rabbul Anam. The gram, meaning Instagram, Rabbul Anam is the Lord of all things. He said, the cause of this is the things that you will encounter by engaging them, which encourage you to show off and to make yourself look good. Related to worship, related to Allah, not related to like how we dress, how we care ourselves, but doing things that may take away from the overall sincerity that initially was there when we started to worship. It's very interesting that Imam al-Ghazali lived in a time where being righteous was such that people would show off in being righteous. That's not today. Today people show off being ratchet. Like it's a completely different, it's flipped, the script is flipped. That's why some of the early Muslims used to say the verse, Allah will not change the people till they change themselves. They meant, they understood it to be, we have to stay away from, you know, if we, if we don't stay on this good, Allah will change us. But for now, the scholars say, no, we have to change the evil to be good, like it's completely inverted. The early Muslims were scared that the good would be changed. They understood that that verse meant something negative. Allah will not change you till you change yourself. Meaning, if you stay upright, Allah will guide you. Now when we read that verse, how do we understand it? Oh man, I got so much stuff I got to deal with, bro. I got to change myself so God will change me. So that tells you the, ch the, the, the spiritual change, the platonic shifts that took place in the Muslim Ummah. That now we even see verses and ideas in a different way. It's not necessarily bad, it's just a, a way to think strategically. So we don't necessarily live in a time where people are going to show off, right? Like, nobody's going to go viral if they say like, man, today I, I prayed like 25,000 rakat, bro. And now I have like this spot on my head and I'm like beaming with Noor. Nah, man, go and get some milk cartons and smash them on the ground in a grocery store. Then you'll become famous. It's a very different time. So Imam Abu Hamad lived in a time where like you could show off with piety and get some, get some utility. That's crazy. So he says, Rahimahullah, بِسَبَبْ مَا يَعْرِدُوا مِنْ قِبَرِهِمْ مِنْ دَوَاعِي الْرِيَاءِ وَتَزَيُّنِ That the cause of this is that need to show off, that need for ostentationalism, and that need to impress people by beautifying worship. وَلَقَدَ صَدَقَ يَحْيَى بْنُ مُعَاذِ حَيْثُ قَالَ And indeed, Yahya ibn Mu'adh, he, he was truthful when he said, رُؤْيَةُ النَّاسِ بِصَاتُ الرِّيَاءِ Like that, thinking about what people think about someone's worship is sort of like the sprout or the foundation of showing off. Like when we go into a mosque, we don't want to think about 
do people think about how I pray? Do people think about how I make wudu? people think about how I read the Qur'an? Do people think about what I say in an in a unhealthy way? Of course, evaluation is healthy later on, but not to the point that it impacts me. He said the people of piety, they feared this kind of thing for themselves. To the extent that some of them, they would avoid meeting people and visiting people. Of course, this needs to be balanced by the sunnah. Some of the things he's going to say, we'll try to address them and make sure that we're balancing them as best as we can. وَلَقَدَ ذُكِرَ عَنْ هَرِمِ بْنِ حِيَّانِ أَنَّهُ قَالَ لِأُوَيْسَ الْقَرَنِ رَحِمُهُمُ اللَّهِ And Haram ibn Hayyan, he said to Uwais al-Qarni, who's from Yemen, we know that he was unable to go to the Prophet ﷺ because uh, Uwais was taking care of his mother. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in an authentic hadith that his dua is accepted. And when he would come to Medina, the people from Yemen, Sayyidina Umar would ask, is Uwais with you? And finally, like, he found him and he was like, make dua for me. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that your dua is accepted. He put character in front of everything else. That's how some ulama, I heard from some of our mashaykh, why the Prophet ﷺ did not get angry at Sayyidina Ali, karramallahu wajha. When he told him, erase my name. And the soul of Hudaybiyyah. And Sayyidina Ali, he refused. Why? That sometimes etiquette and character can come before even obedience. His love and respect and honor for Sayyidina Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is such that he's like, I can't do this. And the Prophet did not censor him. Same thing with Uwais al-Qarni. He had the opportunity to go to Medina, but he stayed with his mother. And he cared for his mom. I remember when I was memorizing the Quran, I couldn't memorize. And I went to my teacher and I said, man, I'm a white American. I can't memorize Quran. He's like, it has nothing to do with you being white or an American. And he said to me, how do you treat your mom? That's the first thing he asked me. Because sometimes our mashaykh, they have firasa. Ittaqu firasatul mu'min. The Prophet said, be careful of the inside of the believer. They see with the light of God. The hadith is sahih. So I said, my mom, she's not even Muslim, dude. Forget that, bro. I don't care about my mom. She's kafir. He was like, that's why you can't memorize Quran. He said, go back and treat your mother well. Subhanallah. After that, I can memorize four pages a day. So don't. Of course, we see sometimes people going extreme on issues of obedience to parents. We're not talking about abuse, abusive relationships. But man, be good to your parents. Wallahi, it brings khair. So Sayyidina Uwais al-Qarani, Sayyidina Umar, Sayyidina Umar used to ask him, you make da for me, man. So he said that Yahya, uh, Afwan, that Haram ibn Hayyan, he said to Sayyidina Uwais, Ya Uwais, silna bi zayarati wal liqa. Like, let's connect by visits and meetings. Like, let's hang out. Faqala Uwais, wa qad wasadtuka bima huwa anfa'u laka min hadha. Aw min huma, 
Sayyidina Awais, he said, I already, already maintain my connection with you in ways that are better than those two. And that is that, subhanAllah, I used to make dua for you when I didn't see you. Because the hadith of the Prophet in Sahih Muslim, that if you make dua for somebody in their absence, the angels say, Amin walaka mithla. The angels will say for you, Amin for that person and to you also. Of course, again, we talked about this a long time ago. We need to balance this. There are certain times I want to see you, you want to see me, right? But to the point that it may take us away from what we need to be focused on, that can be a problem. فَقَالَ أُوَيْسِ وَقَدْ وَسَدْتُكَ بِمَا هُوَ أَنْفَعُ لَكَ مِنْهُمَا وَهُوَ الدُّعَاءُ عَلَى ذَهْرِ الْغَيْبِ He said, I already stayed in touch with you in ways that are better than those two things, and that is I prayed for you in your absence. لِأَنَّ زِيَارَةَ وَلِقَاءَ يَعْرِضُ فِيهِمَا أَتَزَيُّنُ وَالْرِيَاءِ Because you and I being together as scholars, it may cause us to start showing off, it may curate unhealthy competition. It may lead to more problems than good. Fa, it's better. Sayyidina Suleiman al Khawas is from one of the great, great scholars of the second century. He was known like he was always engaged in worship. Uh, Qidama Ibrahim ibn Adham. Ibrahim ibn Adham is one of the really famous early scholars. So it was said to, uh, to Sayyidina um, Ibrahim, like, go see him, go visit him. He said, Ibrahim ibn Adham, he said, I would rather meet Shaitan than him. Of course, it's like extreme, right? hyperbolic kind of thing. Fastan karu people they got angry at Ibrahim ibn Adam. Like, how are you talking about a boy? Like, you call <laughs> how you gonna talk about him like that, man? They misunderstood what he meant. He said, "Fakale inni iza laqitu akhafu an atazayin." I'm scared if I meet him, I'm gonna try to impress him. I'm gonna try to show off for him. I'm gonna try to be what I'm not. Think about that verse in, in the third chapter. They love to be praised for what they haven't done. So I fear that I, 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 will, I will amplify who I am in front of him. And as I said earlier, the, the, the frame that Islam sees the world is different than the frame that we've been exposed to. And that's why sometimes when we read these books, we feel that like, man, what? Because the frame gets shook. And he said, of course, if I, if I were to meet shaitan, I wouldn't show out for him. <laughs> of course, it's just kind of, you know, wisdom. Imam Abu Hamid, he talks about Abu, Abu Bakr al-Warraq. It's interesting, like... Uh, uh, Imam al-Ghazali is not embarrassed to say he has a teacher. Even this is the last book he wrote. One time one of my teachers from West Africa, he told me there was this guy. 
he started to get famous because he had a nice voice. He said he didn't know, he didn't know his front from his back when it came to Islam. Like he didn't know the difference between bat and ta. But mashallah, he had that nice auto-tune joint. And people liked it, which is fine. But then people start to like you. Then they start to create what, what he said earlier. I worry about people begin to live vicariously through me where they begin to create. Sometimes it happens even with our family, right? They, they think about things like, that's not, I'm not like that dude. Like, relax, right? So that brother, he could read Quran really well even though he didn't know how to read the Quran. He just had a nice voice, subhanAllah. But if you ask him like, what's ikhfa, idgham, iqlab? He'd say, oh, I don't know what that is, man. He would just listen to the tapes back in the days, the cassette tapes. I'm sure you've seen some tapes in an uncle's garage or something. So then he came to the sheikh, one of my teachers, and he was like, I want to study, man. Like, I need to study. I can't freestyle forever. Like, I have to get to work on myself. And the sheikh, he's like, good. It's about time. Because you're leading the people out there and you, you're basically stupid. And so then he said, okay, but can I go through the back door to your house? Like the alley and then cut up through the back. So the sheikh was like, at first, I didn't really understand what he was asking. I said, yeah, I thought, I thought maybe something was going on. So he said he would come a few times and then I noticed he didn't want people to see him learning. Look at the integrity of Imam Abu Hamid who says like this is what my teacher taught me. That's why one of our teachers used to say the value of your teacher is they teach you what they learn from their teachers. Like, they can talk about that. He said that my sheikh, he met some arifin. Arifin are those people, the word, those people who are known to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They live their life for Allah. We have arim billah and arim bi amrillah. Arim bi amrillah can tell you halal, haram, you know, but there may be no dhok in that. There's no sweetness to that. But it's still good. But ta'arim billah, the knower of Allah, they know the halal and haram, but then there's, a, there's what's called halawat al-iman. There's a sweetness to it. So al-arifin is from the word arf, which means to smell. So here it's used as a metaphor, mean their heart has sensed the sultan of Allah in this dunya. Just like the nose senses smell. Hada arif billah. فَتَذَكَّرَ مَرِيًّا ثُمَّ دَعُوا فِي آخِرِ حَدِيثِهِمَا قَارَ فَقَارَ الشَّيْخِ لِلْعَرِفِ Then they met and they talked. Abu Bakr ibn al-Warraq and they started to talk. Then after the gathering was over, he said to them, مَا أَظُنِّي مَا أَظُنَّنِي جَلَسْتُ مَجْلِسًا أَنَا لَهُ أَرْجَأْ مِنْ مَجْلِسِي هَذَا And he said to them, the Shaykh of Abu Hamad, Ghazali said to those people, he said, I have never experienced like a better gathering than this. This is amazing. فَقَالَ لَهُ الْعَارِفِ One of them, he said to him, لَكِنِّي مَا جَلَسْتُ مَجْلِسًا أَنَا لَهُ أَخْوَفُ مِنْ مَجْلِسِ هَذَا He said, me? That's what you say, but me? I've never said in the gathering more frightening than this before. And then subhanAllah, he said to him, أَلَسْتَ تَعْمُدُ إِلَىٰ أَحْسَنِ حَدِيثِكَ 
Did you not speak in the best way you could? He said to the Sheikh of Abu Hamad, that man. He said to Abu Bakr, did you not try to make your speech sound good? You tried to impress people? And again, we're not talking about a job interview. Tomorrow, don't go to a job interview like, I'm horrible. I'm the worst person in the world. Suhaib Webb told me not to talk nice. Right? That's not, they're talking about here for religious utility. This is related to strictly religious stuff. To use religion this way for personal utility. And he said, Did you not like try to impress us with this great speech and talk about everything you knew and try to make yourself seem great in front of us? Isn't that what you just did? And me too. We both were doing it. And then there occurred between us showing off and trying to beautify ourselves in front of each other with religion. And the Shaykh, he cried when this man said this to him. And then, and then he fainted. And then after this, it was called Bahru Sari'a. He said that he would always read this poetry. Like after this encounter, Sheikh Abu Bakr would read, Ya walayta min mawqifi ma bihi akhwafu min an ya'dil al-hakimu. He read this form of this poem, is called Bahru Sari'a, which means, O oh, woe to the person who gathers in this type of gathering where the judge of this Gathering is the most just, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ubarizullaha bi'asyanihi wa laysari min dunihi rahimu. And that in this moment, Allah has made clear my disobedience. That my, my intentions wasn't right. Wa laysari min dunihi rahimu. And there's no other source of rahma except Allah. Ya Rabbi, afwa minka an mudhnibi. Oh my Lord, pardon, I seek your pardon for my sins. Asrafa illa annahu nadimu. Those sins I have egregiously done, because if not, there's going to be regret. Yaquru fi layli idha ma daja ahala li dhambi satra la arimu. Hmm. And he says, فَهَذِهِ حَالُ أَهْرِ الزُّهْدِ وَالْرِيَاضَاتِ فِي مُلَاقَاتِهِمْ This is the way of the righteous people when they gather. Of course, this is a little heavy, right? Like, everybody's going to like leave now. <laughs> this may be a little too steep, because the sunnah is the guide. In the Prophet he met people, he would talk with people, he would engage with people, right? But he had limits. When they would joke, he said, I joke, but I don't lie. So the Shaykh here is saying, some people maybe they realize like I can't I can't control those limits. I've been there, we've all been there. So if that's the case, then it's better to to, to be safe. So he said, if this is the case of these guys, what about people that are ignorant and they have no moral center and they, they have no kind of, if you will, safety valves. 
And now he begins to talk about his time. Imam Abu Hamad. And this is in the 5th century after Hijri. Like this is not long ago. But how, we could, how could we frame this in a more balanced way? Is like, man, I just need to be careful who I hang out with. Right? This is a little extreme, as I said earlier. God bless him. Hey, more power to him, man. But some of the things that he talked about could be translated into now. Like again, why do I post what I post? Why do I write what I write? Why do I say what I say? Is it for the right reasons or is it for attention? Especially religion. There's, there's a loss of, 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 of illumination and tranquility when religion is mixed with ostentation. Something's not there. Look at Sheikh Ahmad Obamba of Senegal. Because now we have to be very careful of what's happening, that our value is being transferred in a way to people that are not in our circle of influence, like my wife. That's, that's the first person, the most important person to tell me if I need to work on myself is Miriam. Right? That's, that's the closest. We're, we're like each other's clothing. Than my children. But now we're worried about a bunch of people that we don't know, and some of them, even we can buy them if we pay money, like bots will hit you up. I told this bot, it kept contacting me, I just want to mess with it. And it was like, Mr. Webb, if you pay us whatever, whatever, we'll give you like 400,000 friends on Instagram. And I was like, bots in, in Arabic backwards means stab. B O T S, stab. So I was like, please, stab. But that's crazy, man. I had a student once who bought some friends on Instagram. He memorized the Quran with me. And I was like, man, who do you know in Korea, bro? You're like 13, dude. There's like 500 Koreans. He was like, today I learned Alif. It's like, mashallah, not mashallah. I was like, great, yeah, great, yeah, good, awesome, great, yeah, like one word, right, with a period. And I was like, all these people, they look like they're from Korea. Like, I mean, I, I get it, BPS and everything, but dude, like, He's like, man, I bought this thing and it made, I was like, it looks so cringe, bro. Everyone knows this is not really your friends. He's like, I don't care. It makes me look good. I was like, you don't care? Like, that's a very empty feeling. So we could, we could apply this to just like not allowing our intrinsic value to be taken from our own autonomy. That's the irony of an irreligious world is that it attacks religion because it said religion breeds servitude to the creator. But it forgets to look at itself and say that it breeds servitude to what? Like it, it, it creates mental instability, psychosis, problems with people. It destroys relationships. It causes us to look for spouses for unhealthy reasons. I read an article in The Atlantic about women trying to marry men with hedge funds. He's crazy. And what they would do in men trying to marry women with hedge, what they would hedge fund folks, like what they would do to try to get close to those people in the Hamptons. And they would ask them, but are you happy? No, but I'm paid. So I've now outsourced my happiness for what? For something that's not going to stay with me. 
So Sayyidina Imam Abu Hamid, he continues, he says, He's talking about his time. Man, I can only imagine if he came to Greenwich Village, walked by a dispensary. He said, you have to know that this time is a time of incredible corruption. This is 400 years after the Prophet. So also we need to be merciful to one another, man. It's hard on these streets. It's hard to be a person of faith when the treadmill of the world is like on 12. Actually, it's more like a stair climber. It's hard for people. So we have to think about how are we a, a ministry? How do we help each other? Not just condemn, but help is hard. It's not easy, man. I, I admire you because I was from Oklahoma, right? In Oklahoma, if you wanted to get in trouble, you go like walk to 7-Eleven, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that, that would be like the apex of potential trouble back when I was young. Like, you walk into 7-Eleven, my mom would be like, be careful. On the way to get that icy, you might get caught up in those Oklahoma streets. Now, you guys? Ya Allah, look at the iman of young people. I, I don't know if I could have done it. It's not easy, man. It's not easy. So Imam Abu, Abu Hamas says, <laughs> See, if we took Abu Hamid here on a Saturday night and dropped him in Washington Square Park. What's up, Imam? Check it out, yo. He'd have been like, He'd have been like, this is a crazy time. And people, he said, in his age are in a state of some serious harm. فَإِنَّهُمْ يُشْغِلُونَكَ عَنْ إِبَادَةِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ حَتَّى لَا يَكَادُ يَحْسُرُ لَكَ مِنْهَا شَيْءٍ He said, if you're not careful of those people that are caught up, they're going to catch you up into the point that you do not reap the rewards of worship. ثُمَّ يُفْسِدُونَ عَرَيْكَ مَا حَصَرَ لَكَ And then they will reward the outcome of that worship. They will hurt the outcome of that worship. حَتَّى لَا يَكَادُ يَسْلَمَ لَكَ مِنْهَا شَيْءٍ Until like, there's nothing that's really safe and secure for you in that, in that, in that regard. So therefore, you should, and we talked about this before, engage in interval moments of isolation and separation from people. That's why Imam Abu uh, Ibn Atta'Allah, he says in the Hikam, مَا نَفَعَ الْقَلْبَ شَيْءٌ مِثْلُ عُزْلَةٌ يَدْخُلُ فِيهَا مَيْدَانُ الْفِكْرَةٌ he said there's nothing more beneficial than the heart than interval moments of isolation. That's why he says uzlatun. He doesn't say al-uzla. If he said al-uzla, understand Arabic, I mean like you always got to be isolated 24-7. You just like, just you. But he says uzlatun, like time to time. You can think about this if you do interval workouts. Right? You do like 30-second sprints, jump on a box, do some blurpees. Do a quick, like, 15, 20-minute workout. It's better for you than if you just sit in the gym all day long and, like, walk on a treadmill. So the idea here is that Imam Ibn al-Ta'ala is saying, especially when you're in college and working, there's a lot going on, right? So maybe, like me, I got babies. Like, my two-year-old's not like, I'm trying to engage in Uzla. Leave me alone. She's going to, like, I want to watch Coca Melon, Right? So of course, balance, but what it means is get those interval moments in. Maybe like after prayer, just make that thicker, but just get it. Immerse yourself in it. Maybe that dua that you make 
for just a few minutes, that's all you can do, it's okay. Don't worry about what you can do, worry about doing what you can do right, even if it's a little, so you don't get guilty. Maybe like on the weekends, you can drop like Salat al-Duha in the morning, just like get it. Lose yourself in that. That's why Allah says, Fi. He talks about worship. Fi means to be in, to be submerged, like that coffee in that glass, right? Fi. So I'm fila. I'm submerged in ibadah. But it's temporary. Because it's impossible to live that way. Allah said that type of lifestyle they invented, we didn't prescribe that. And the Prophet had the best affairs are what? Those that are in the middle. So he says, and you should like always ask Allah to protect you. That's why the last part of the Quran, the last three chapters are about Tawheed, protection from the inner evil, and then Anas, the protection from the outer evil. Because those two protections are what we need, psychological and emotional health, and then health in our physical world. And the key to that, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ So the Shaykh, he says, that's why we say, مِنْ شَرِّ مَا خَلَقْ We seek your protection from the evil you created, you put in this world. So he says, like, constantly make that dua. وَاللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ أَلْحَافِثُ بِفَضْلِهِ وَرَحْمَةِ وَرَحْمَتِهِ And Allah will take care of you out of His justice and His mercy and His benevolence. فَإِنْ قِيلَ فَمَا حُكْمُ الْعُزْلَةِ وَتَفَرُّضِ عَنِ النَّاسِ فَبَيِّنَ لَا حُكْمُ يَرْحَمَكَ اللَّهِ We're going to talk about this next time, but he said that somebody will ask him, like, what is, what is the sharia? Because we talked about this before, and I can't emphasize how important it is. That any time we come across these kind of abstract ideas, like isolation and separation, those are abstractions. And even in Sharia, in Islamic law, they fall under what are known as abstractions. Those abstractions have to be clarified by fiqh. That's the job of fiqh. That's why fiqh is the science of particulars. It, it, it's the science of pixels. It pixelates ideas. So he says, now the, the question is going to come after this kind of intense introduction. Then what's the ruling on this? In other words... How do I go about doing this so that I don't fall into extremes? And he's going to go through different types of people. And he's going to model for us a few examples of people in relationship to how do they intervally isolate responsibly. If there's any questions, we can take them now. We'll try to keep it at an hour. We actually didn't even reach an hour. Yes, sir. Uh, so, with regards to worship and showing off, uh, so I had a friend who I wanted him to come to the Masjid for Fajr, but he said he didn't want to because he felt that doing so, and like he felt he would only be going to the Masjid for us, and he wouldn't, he'd be doing it to show off essentially, that he wouldn't go if we didn't go. Sorry, man, there's a text from my wife, and I always put that in front of everything. <laughs> Sorry, man. And I'm not doing that to show off. Okay, yeah, so he was afraid that by going to the mushroom for Salah, that he'd be doing it to show off, that he'd only, he would only go if 
like iOS. Right. And another FYI, my wife is five months pregnant. So anyone here, I don't think anyone here yet, maybe some, but you know, as the dad, you got to be like full time, you know, to the rescue if needed. So forgive me for looking at my phone. I apologize to you. So he's going to talk about that later on. Right. But what we should understand is the balance that the reward for going to the mosque. Every step is a blessing. Every step is a sin forgiven. We should trust the teachings of the prophet more than our own insecurities. Oh, man, if I go to the mosque, I'm going to show off. That's kind of showing off. That's kind of narcissistic not to throw your friend under the bus. And if he's here, I'm not talking about you. But in the sense of like I'm overinflating my importance in all this, I go because I am the slave of Allah. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of whatever wisdom is telling me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, Aqim al-Salatalidikri. Establish the prayer. And then the Prophet said, people who go to the mosque in that time of day, they'll have light in the hereafter. So you want to tell him, that's great, barakalafiq, but you ain't that important, homie. But the rewards for the namaz and for the salah are greater than your fears. So the guidance of the Prophet is what we stick to here. Yeah? Don't tell him like that. I don't yeah. make any of them But you could say, dear brother, may Allah SWT bless you and increase you. This is such a noble idea. However, throw a few semicolons in there and you'll be all right, bro. But that's a, and also, you know, you can actually say, like, he's honestly, I don't think this is narcissism. I think this is a lover of Allah. Like, he wants his worship to be for Allah, mashallah. So you could say, like, alhamdulillah, that's beautiful. But just imagine, like, if you overcome this fear for the sake of Allah and you follow the sunnah of the Prophet, wasallam, right, by going to the masjid. Yeah. So you want to think about it also in a very positive way. Yes, sir. It's kind of related to that, but how do you deal with like, like the paranoia almost that sort of comes with like, am I doing this for a law? Am I like, you know, am I doing this for other people? I mean, I struggle with that. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a question that puts me on the spot. Um, and I have to be honest, that's, that's, that's a, uh, a lifelong challenge. Why am I doing this? Imam Ibn Qayyim says that Responsible people, whenever they do something, they ask themselves two questions, why and how? It's like, why is it for the right reasons? And then how is it, is it, right? Is it done in the right way? Right, so the why is, for example, the example you gave earlier, like I don't, uh, I'm scared I'm gonna show off if I go to the masjid. But the how, that doesn't align with the sunnah. The sunnah is to go to the masjid. And then like, it's hard, bro. So it's, why are you asking me that question? Man? Um, you know, make a lot of istighfar. One thing I like to tell people is like, what you do in secret should be more passionate and more than what you do in person. You know, so that way that balance is there. Like everyone should have a secret between them and Allah. Even their spouse. Right, so maybe like you give charity, you serve somebody, you say, oh Allah, buy this charity, please bless my family, bless my baby, for example, keep the baby safe. So you make tawassal with that, right? But then you don't even tell people closest to you. It's very important to have sir, the secret between you and God. But especially for people 
who are out there on the front lines or engaged in teaching, Allah has, we're going to talk about them later on, why they have to. Those kind of people who know, like a doctor, if I went to a doctor and I was like, I have this specific kind of medical problem, and he was the only doctor, she was the only doctor that could serve me if she said to me, oh, you know, I don't want to show off so I can't help you. That's wrong. So there are certain people that have to be patient with the public, public educators. So I like to encourage sometimes my, my, my brothers and sisters, like, do meaningful things in secret. You know what I mean? And subhanAllah, my own experience, I'm not good at this, by the way, I'm the worst. But when I have been lucky to do maybe a few things like that, man, the sense of satisfaction is like more, man. Because then you're not worried about it. You're not worried about people. You're not worried about all that clutter. You know, you, you, you're able just like you and Allah. 